Welcome to this episode of the Madness Podcast, where our host is joined by Jan Willem, the Managing Director of Effective Altruism in the Netherlands. We begin by discussing what it means to do good, and what the key principles of the Effective Altruism movement are. We then explore the possible motivations which underpin altruism, and how caring for each other can help oneself. Following this, we delve into an exploration of speciesism and considerations to non-human suffering, specifically suffering experienced by animals. This episode closes with an exploration of practical ways in which one can do good in one's lifetime. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Madness Podcast. Today, we have an episode that I've been waiting for a while to record. I am very excited to introduce Jan Willem van Putten, whom we're going to talk about um, effective altruism, uh, mostly, and things surrounding that, and in general, how to do the most good. So thank you very much for joining, Jan Willem. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's great to be here. Nice. Um, could you first introduce yourself shortly? Who Who is this person that I'm talking to and listening? Yes, of course. Uh, so my name is uh, uh, Jan Willem van, van Putten. That's the Dutch uh, pronunciation. Um, but you did a great job, actually, I think, pronouncing <laughs> it. Uh, and I'm the Managing Director of Effective Altruism Netherlands. Uh, it's an organization that spreads the idea of effective altruism across the Netherlands, within the Dutch borders, and even a bit beyond that. Hmm. Cool. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, as I said, today we're going to talk about, in general, how, how to do the most good and what uh, that means. Uh, but maybe if it's okay with you jumping right ahead, uh, it might be a good idea to to define what we even mean by doing mm -hmm. good. Uh, yeah. and like, why why would one care about improving anything? Um, so, so what do you think about that? Yeah, I think let's start with the with the last question first. So, why would you do, want to do good anyway? I mean, you can just live your life, have a lot of fun. But I think that uh, from a lot of evidence, uh, there's a, there is a lot of evidence actually um, that says that if you do good, so if you help other people, can be your neighbors, maybe people a bit further away, uh, you will be happier as well. So maybe a very good reason uh, for doing good is that it helps yourself in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that's one, I would say. And besides that, of course, you can also say that you have a moral obligation to help others. Um, mm -hmm. And there are many like arguments for that. Uh, so that's, that's I think, one of the reasons why you want to do good. And do you, do you consider that your personal motivation too? Um, yeah, definitely, yeah. So, well, I, I think a combination of the two. I mean, to be very honest, of course, I feel better when I work uh, for a social cause. So I worked as a strategy consultant in the past, like working for private equity 70 hours a week, making rich people richer. That didn't make hmm. me happy. So that was the reason to switch to the, yeah, to work for a social cause. Um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I think for a lot of people, that's, uh, yeah, the motivation to, to get some more meaning in our lives. Um, I mean, it's, it's super, for, for those of us who are privileged enough to not have to worry about what we're going to eat tomorrow or, mm -hmm. or, or such pressing issues, uh, often we, it's easy to get caught up in, uh, what I would call maybe superficial things or just, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, more, more empty things or, or short term. Uh, yeah. And at least in, in my life, uh, yeah, the reason why I've care started caring about doing good, uh, yeah, is is mainly because of this this aspect of meaning and and yeah, I mean I've I've been blessed with this life and and everything that I've lived. So I think it um, I would love to give back in a way. Uh, but yeah, and as you say, I, I definitely I think when you stop focusing so much on yourself and you focus a bit more on others and how yeah how can you reduce their suffering or maximize their happiness. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah it makes even your life better which is uh the it's like it's a reinforcing positive cycle exactly yeah yeah and and so okay that's that's uh maybe our motivation and but so so i mean in in a way it's kind of self-explanatory when we say doing good what that means um mm -hmm. uh, but but i i think at the same time it can mean it can mean many many things uh so what what does doing good mean to you 
Yeah. So for me, uh, from a personal perspective, you can do good if you need helping a lady crossing the street, doing very small and minor things. That's also doing good from a perspective of effective altruism and a larger perspective. Doing good has to do with increasing or improving well-being for, for all living sentient creatures here on Earth. Uh, yeah, what is well-being? Of course, we can discuss on that, uh, about that as well. Uh, but to make our yeah, life better in a way, um, that's, that's what we want to do. And I mean, there, there are many things to do that. But yeah, as an effective altruist, we would say we try to do that in a rational way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure we'll get to talk more about mm-hmm. effective altruism specific approach uh, to doing good. But yeah, I mean, the I think we we can agree on on that that uh, because for me also doing good. I mean, of course, the specific ways in which you can do good, in which you can improve uh, other people's lives, uh, it can get it can take many forms, of course. But the most abstract and and general idea is that we're trying to improve people's or sentient beings general. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't have to be human beings; it can also be animals or I don't know, even insects. Definitely, I would uh, say all, all like creatures that can uh, that are able to suffer <laughs> or yeah, have, pl- yeah. have, pl- have pleasure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a discussion we could have, like whether because I, I guess a lot of people uh, I used to uh, believe that mm-hmm. animals uh, and certainly insects probably don't have uh, consciousness or experience or can suffer. And I, I mean, that's a discussion that we can have for hours, but maybe we don't want to jump yeah, into that. I want to say one thing about that, maybe, is that <laughs> over the last years, a lot of evidence is coming up that, um, yeah, even fish or chickens have, yeah, more feelings than we used to think in the past. So it's quite some evidence using brain scans and other methods, um, and it's quite convincing actually um, that they can suffer. suffer. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the reason I would think to prepare for them as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. I completely agree. Um, and I mean, if you look at the counter arguments, why we wouldn't care, I mean, just, just to give one, um, there's one argument that brain size is, uh, like we, we can measure how much a being can suffer, uh, or how much we should care Mm -hmm. about a being depending on their brain size. Uh, and I think that's a terrible argument because then in a way we would care a million times more for uh, a whale or, or something, <laughs> which, we, which we clearly do not. Uh, so yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, we, mm-hmm. we again can agree that it's not only about humans. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe humans in a way it's uh, the closest that we have and maybe also the easiest we understand because maybe it might be harder yeah. to know how you can help a fish yeah. Uh, yeah. than how it, there, you, you can make you can make a different argument there. I mean, for animals, it's very hard to say what they need or want, and that's maybe a reason to care even more about them. I mean, they can't say that they have pain or that they experience pleasure. Um, so that's a good reason to care more uh, about them because they have no voice in the public debate, for example. Yeah, and certainly something we can do is to at least not just kill them uh, and 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 feel like we have the right to take over the habitats and, and things like this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that's, that's a uh, very good. And so, so effective altruism definitely, uh, if, if I understand correctly, doesn't only focus in, in humans and then also focuses in, in all sentient beings. And that's one of the kind of core principles of it. Isn't that so? Yeah, true, true that. So yeah, we, we, we care about all sentient beings. Um, and I think you can expand that. So it's it's just a little bit, I would say, about expanding the moral circle. That's something effective altruism is really strong at. Um, so not only caring about your neighbors or your family, which is still re- very important. I don't want to disregard that. Um, I mean, I want to do good. I want to help my parents as well. I have one grandmother left. I try to visit her uh, often enough. Um, I want to do it more probably even, but I mean, yeah, sometimes just... Uh, lack of time, but um, yeah, I would say it's about expanding the moral circles. So to, to, to animals, uh, like we talked before, uh, but also nationalities and that's something else. I mean, um, why is a human being that has been born in Africa uh, less worth than someone from the Netherlands or Italy or another country? And I think that's yeah, the whole concept of nationalities or countries 
Um, it's also yeah, that's something that's quite new when you look to the whole history of uh, of humanity. Um, so I think it's strange that we say, okay, you know, yeah, people from the Netherlands are just more important. But of course, there are people that uh, disagree on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I guess so. So the idea is that the distance that we have to a human being doesn't really matter in terms of our responsibility, moral responsibility to, mm-hmm. to yeah, trying to help in any way we can uh, or taking responsibility. Yeah. But I guess an, an argument that is uh, that I've often heard there is that it's it's just easier to help uh, or, or to influence the life of someone that's closer. Um, but what, what do you think of that argument? Yeah. One hand, that is true, of course. I mean, when I talk to my brother, uh, it probably impresses him more than if just a stranger talks to him. Uh, to him. Uh, on the other hand, I think, um, uh, thinking about helping people in Africa or other or countries or poor countries in Africa, um, you get just way more out of your money. Uh, so more bang for the buck. I mean, it's easier to help them. If you have a thousand euros or 2000 euros, you can save a life. And in the Netherlands, uh, you can't save an extra life for 2000 euros. No way. I mean, we, we pay like 80,000 euros in the Netherlands for, uh, helping someone getting an extra healthy life here. That's the cost of an extra healthy life, you know, uh, in the Netherlands. So it's, yeah, you can't compare this number. So it's easier, I would say, to help someone who's further away and living in a, yeah, in a, in a less developed country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you mentioned a bit earlier that, I mean, in a, in a way, it feels like there's a distinction between uh, between helping in our personal lives, so to our uh, close surroundings, whatever that means. Uh, yeah, as you said, I don't know, cr- helping a, a lady cross the, uh, like a elderly cr- cross the street, or or I don't know, in your community or something like that, versus mm-hmm. helping in the in the big scale in a way. Uh, and and it seems to be a, dis- a distinction there, and I maybe I think there is, but at the same time, I think something. Uh, this is definitely not, or at least it's something that I haven't heard enough talk uh, in the effective altruist group. Uh, yeah, effective altruism movement uh, community. The a conversation on kind of the motivations uh, behind, which I think it's something interesting to talk about uh, mm-hmm. because I think that a, a person that is more prone to or has more the intention or motivation to. Uh, yeah, to to help in the small ca- scale will also mm-hmm. probably have the motivation yeah. to to help in the large large scale. Yeah, I definitely don't agree on that. So a good example of this is when you talk about climate change. Um, we will talk about this later a bit more, I guess. But mm-hmm. um, there are certain NGOs that are very effective countering climate change, uh, usually through strong lobby positions in Brussels or in Washington DC. Um, and you can give, I mean, you can donate, if you donate a hundred euros, uh, for example, a year, that will offset your CO2 emissions for that year. I think a factor three, four, five, maybe even depends a bit on your calculation. Um, so yeah, one could say or could argue, well, I can still eat meat. I can still fly. I can do whatever I like as long as I donate, but I don't agree with that because I think very small behavioral changes make you also more prone to donate later on. Um, and because when you start very small, you say, okay, I will stop eating meat for, let's say, a day a week. Uh, the, the, the probability that you will stop eating meat completely already grows. So sometimes you first have to change small things in your behavior before you can yeah, change larger or more impactful things. So, yeah. Yeah. With that. yeah. Okay. And I mean, in a way, we already started talking a little bit about uh, what are the principles of effective altruism. I mean, we mentioned, uh, I think you call it speciesism aspect. <laughs> I know I say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah, so, so that, that's, well, that's one of the core principles of effective altruism. And, and the second one is kind of the distance uh, principle, no? Uh, mm-hmm. But b- besides those two, uh, is there any more principles uh, that effective yeah. altruism follows? Yeah, so in general, we are now talking about uh, uh, 
yeah, what we call the impartial concern for welfare. Um, and so, yeah, nationalities, species, and I, I would add a third one, which is a time component. So, um, I mean, we human beings, we lived here for many generations on this earth, but if we do the right things, 21 million generations are able to come after us. And yeah, we as effective altruists think that, yeah, we, we should take care of them. I mean, it's not that they, eh, they are born yet, but they will be if we take care. And I think that life is something that's really awesome. I, I enjoy it a lot personally. And a lot of people enjoy life. So, yeah, I mean, they have the right to enjoy it as well. Uh, so we ex should expand, I think, our moral circle to, to future generations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I definitely, I think it's a, it's a super interesting topic because often when we when we think about helping, it's, it's in the short term that we think. It, I, at least it's in the medium term that we think um, because I guess it's also hard to grasp that I don't remember the number that you said, but like millions and millions of generations are going to come after us. And that's just then like, if you, if you value the, the life of all beings equal, mm -hmm. um, yeah, then, I mean, the, the care that we ought to give to, to future generations, is just uh, way, way bigger than, than in a way, the one that we ought to give to. Yeah, yeah to, exactly. And I yeah. think this is, this is something that really, that is special about effective altruism since a lot of people in the past said, okay, uh, we should discount future generations heavily, use a discount rate for how they feel. Eh? Um, if they feel good, yeah, we should definitely discount it, but also when they feel bad, I mean, it's just, and they're worth less. And I think within effective altruism, a lot of people say, no, there's no moral reason to do this. I mean, discounting, yeah, maybe for a company that makes profits and you make companies in 20 years and they're of less value than profits now. I can totally understand that from an economic viewpoint. But when you're talking about well-being of future generations, I think there's no moral reason uh, to discount that heavily. And I think we're totally right to say, okay, future generations, it is very important. And on the other hand, sometimes it is hard, of course, to determine how you can help them. Uh, so what do people need within 10 million years and what can we do about it? Can we change the course of history now a lot uh, at this point in time or not? Uh, so this is also a big discussion within effective altruism, what we call the, the hinge of history discussion. So are we currently at a very like interesting moment where we could shift uh, the future of humanity for a large part or is it just a normal time? I mean, people in like the Middle Ages, they weren't able to to influence our life, I think, massively, let alone, yeah, one million uh, generations after us. So, yeah, interesting topic, long term. <laughs> Lots yeah, to say about time. that. Yeah. yeah, and and so maybe already making the announcement in a way. Uh, the the reason why we're not going to get that much into long termism, even though it's super super interesting, uh, is because we're planning on having an episode uh, specifically on that. Uh, and, and of course, I'm very excited about that. Um, but yeah, uh, and I, I do see, like talking about the arguments, why we would maybe discount or, or value less the lives of future people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do see, I have heard some of the arguments for that. And I mean, in a way, it, it does make some sense that we just have no idea what is going to happen in the next 100,000 years. Mm -hmm. uh, like yeah, uh, and you know maybe technology would be will be way way better, or or uh, or maybe we will go extinct in the next hundred mm -hmm. years. Uh, mm -hmm. So maybe that's a reason why we should care more for what's around us today rather than in the future. Yes, of course. I mean, there are some arguments for that. Although I would say that we have have some ideas at least about uh, what we can do now to influence the the far future. And indeed, what you say at least to yeah, stop uh, getting us uh, uh, extinct. Um, there are some, there are definitely some measures that we could take to prevent like very extreme climate scenarios or uh, artificial intelligence going totally crazy over the coming years or bio risks like pandemics or engineered pandemics. So there are definitely some measures that we could take to yeah, minimize the chance that we go extinct in the, in the, in the coming uh, century. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because so, something that I often think about is that 
uh, even if one has good intentions, it's completely possible that, uh, I mean, there, there's this phrase, uh, maybe I'm saying it wrong, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, I perfectly have seen uh, examples where people with good intentions have actually just made things worse. Uh, so, I mean, that's something that we could also yeah. do in the future, uh, yeah. like do with our actions today. But yeah. something that I that I think we can all agree is that in either case, uh, if we do think that life is valuable, uh, something that at least we can do is, um, even if today we don't have the knowledge on precisely knowing what we should do to make life in the future better, yeah. at least we should try our best not to make yeah. life go extinct. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about one thing. And then, uh, I mean, all the other questions you have to ask Sida. Yeah. Uh, what I can mention is that you can, of course, also decide to, to save. So there's a large uh, portion of effective altruists that believe that it's a very good idea just to save money now for later, because uh, currently we don't know what's best for the future, but maybe in a few hundred years, we have a better idea how we can help people uh, within a, maybe a few generations more. So um, yeah, you can always save. Uh, and I uh, invest it. And if you invest money now and you uh, take a look at it in 300, 400 years, probably it's worth a lot. So uh, when you look to the past um, and you invested money in stocks, um, yeah, you made a big profit and you can invest it later. So that's also one side of the whole long-term discussion. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So not, not getting any more into long-termism. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's it for now. Yeah. Um, so I'm, uh, were, were those all the principles of effective altruism that, no, that you mentioned? I would say, okay, so this was all about like impartial concern for welfare, but I mean, it doesn't say anything about how to measure it or what methods to use, more like the, the techniques you use to decide uh, how to care for their, for their welfare. Uh, I think their effective altruism is also yeah, very special, and this is more about the effective within effective altruism. Um, so yeah, think about using data and logic uh, and, and yeah, analysis to uh, yeah, to see if, if, if something is worthwhile to do, uh, doing good. I think that's, that's really special. I mean, there are many <laughs> cases in the past where people indeed just uh, wants to do good, uh, pave the, the, the road to hell. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yeah, at the end, the consequences were very negative. Um, and I think it's very hard sometimes to see unless you collect a lot of data, analyze it, um, and make have frameworks for analyzing very complex topics. Uh, so that's yeah, definitely I would say one of the, the major cornerstones within effective altruism. Mm. So in in a way that that point is to to do good effective altru the effective altruist community. What how they go about doing good is making sure that the methods of doing good are the most effective effective possible and using data and rationality yeah. kind of logic exactly. to do that. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes there is no data. I mean, when you talk about huh, the, the long-term issues we've mentioned earlier, of course, huh, there are no examples of that, of us going extinct, for example. I mean, we're still here. Uh, but when you talk about like health and development uh, in developing countries, so there is a lot of evidence what works and what doesn't work. Uh, there were many interventions in the past that, that didn't help people or kids get better school results. And when you talk about getting, giving them extra school uniforms or extra teachers, that doesn't work. Uh, while there are other interventions uh, that, that, that work better. And we, we know this. I mean, we did a lot of uh, randomized control trials for that. We have science for that. Um, yeah, so, so, so I mean, it, uh, data is not for all issues, but data, data, and that's why I said data and like logic or reason. Um, yeah, that, that, yeah, could help us making better decisions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any any more principles that I don't know of of effective Yeah. Treatment? So I think what's also uh, we look also we also look at replaceability or counterfactual uh, impact. Uh, and uh, so that means something like okay, what if you decided to do something completely else? Of course, you can help someone now uh, on the street, uh, elderly. A woman uh, crossing the street, but on the other side of the street, someone is is drowning in a river. 
Uh, and you can help the lady, of course, still. That's a fantastic job. Uh, you help her crossing the street. She feels better with someone drunk on the other side of the street. So then you can say, okay, my, my impact was positive. But in effect, the altruist would say, well, you could have done better, maybe. Um, so that's uh, about counterfactual evidence and replaceability. Um, it's, okay, you can pick a career, uh, for example, as a doctor. Uh, I mean, when you talk about the Netherlands, there are many doctors, and when you want to study medicine, um, yeah, there's always a waiting list, like a queue. Uh, you, you, a lottery, even you have to be very lucky to get in because a lot of people want to be a doctor because they think they can save a lot of lives. Um, on the other hand, when you pick a different profession and you don't study medicine, um, someone else will, will take your place who is almost equally as good, probably not a very large difference. So maybe you will save one, two, three lives more per year, or you will, you, you will have done if you would have picked a job. You would have saved a few lives more. Um, but now, when you are not a doctor, you can easily maybe start your own social enterprise, which focuses on, on a topic that's largely neglected. Uh, and in that way, you can have way more impact, maybe save 20, 20 or 30 lives even. So um, that, that, that's the way we like to look at, at yeah, impact. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find that idea super, super interesting. Um, yeah, especially as you say, so, something that I, and I guess a lot of people living in developed countries are, are faced with, is that we look around and, I mean, there are things wrong, of course. There's always uh, things happening that we can do something about and improve. Um, but at the same time, if you look uh, a bit further away and you maybe go to another continent, or, I mean, probably even closer to home there there's uh, real suffering and, and way bigger mm -hmm. suffering than than there might be around yeah. you so that that principle definitely makes you think of how yeah how uh, people far away might not have enough uh just resources to to fulfill all, mm -hmm. their, all their needs and how maybe we should focus a lot more on that on rather than i don't know trying to do something locally yeah, I agree with that. And I want to add, I think, one very important point, and that's that we want to look at expected value. Uh, so effective altruists are not scared for what I would call uncertainty. Um, so sometimes you have an intervention where you say, okay, maybe there's just a 10% chance that it really helps people, but it's very cheap and it helps people by a lot, uh, improving their well-being. So uh, maybe it's still a good idea to invest, even when you're quite uncertain. Um, while other people normally would say, okay, now you want to be very certain that something works. Well, no, we just want to look at expected value in a rational way, uh, the way you would also look at things from an app uh, when, you, when, when you are in a casino or something like, like that, or playing poker. Um, so you want to be yeah, rational. Uh, uh, yeah, you, you want to look, to to the expected failure in a, in a rational way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, in a way, there's always yeah, there, there's always this uncertainty. There's always mm -hmm. mo most actions that we take have good and bad uh, mm -hmm. outcomes. Uh, so I mean, and and nothing. I I I haven't found anything that is just completely good to to any action that you uh, think about. There's probably something that could go wrong or something that. That can be affected negatively. Uh, yes, but I think then you, you never know. Even when you save someone's life, maybe uh, late, later on because he's still alive, he has a car accident and kills someone or multiple people uh, after that. So yeah, was it a good decision to save someone's life? Even that, you, you never know for sure. But of course, you can make a calculation. I, I mean, we know the, the percentage or the, the, the chance that someone has a fatal accident or causes a fatal accident. It's very, very small. So probably it's a good idea to save someone's life, even when there's a very small chance that it will cause a fatal accident later on. Yeah, and I mean overall, all we can do is try our best, uh, and and I think that's that's what we should focus on. I mean, I, I know in effective altruism, of course, you're focused in in trying to bring about the best outcomes, uh, but I mean, yeah, the only thing that you can do is to 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 try your best, but in the end. Uh, yeah, yeah make, world, make good calculations, uh, use sound evidence indeed. 
So that's something I really like within the affected elderly community that people are very transparent about their opinions and how they calculate uh, stuff and why they think the expected value is higher. So, for example, uh, in this case, I, I just mentioned they would say, okay, yeah, the, the chance, look at the facts, is 0.0003% that someone would cause a fatal accident later in life. Uh, and they would uh, add a source to it, and it's very transparent. Uh, yeah, yeah, and so I mean, effective altruism. What is it? Is it a community? Is it a philosophy? Uh, what What is it that oh. we're talking about? Both. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's a research uh, topic as well. Um, but indeed, it has a. I would normally say when I have to pick something, I would say it's a community. So you have the affected altruism community, people from all around the globe. And we in the Netherlands are just a small group compared to, 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 to some other groups uh, globally. But um, yeah, it is a community of people discussing how to do the most good and also acting on it. I think the second one is really important. I mean, we can discuss endlessly about doing good, uh, but people should also act. So you have a lot of people in these who have both more maybe career options or yeah, what, what places to donate to. And I think um, yeah, a lot of stuff came together actually creating this movement. Maybe that's good to, uh, to mention. So uh, on the one hand, you had some uh, uh, some very nice economists, uh, Michael Kremer uh, and a few others who even won a Nobel Prize for doing uh, RCTs in, uh, uh, in health interventions. So showing this works, this doesn't work. Uh, on the other hand, you had bankers who uh, founded GiveWell. That's an organization that assesses charities. On the other, other hand, you had philosophers like Will McCaskill, who uh, made all the arguments, like why should we uh, do good in an effective way? Why is that a, maybe a moral obligation even to do good in an effective way? Um, so you had multiple groups working on this topic from, from different angles. Um, and so that's how, how it started, actually. Yeah, that's actually what I love of effective altruism. That if you go to the to one of the websites uh, and you and you start looking at all the resources, for example, just podcasts. If you look at all the podcasts that exist related to effective altruism and asking these questions of how to do the most good, there's so much stuff, uh, and there's so many people that truly care about this, and that's what I find, yeah, the most inspiring for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Okay, so I mean, we 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 spoke about um, the. Yeah, the, the core ideas uh, and and we established the basis um, but I, and I think it, something that would be amazing now is to to move more to the practical like how do we actually start doing good yeah. uh, but maybe before that uh, a question that still remains in my mind is how how much do we actually have to do or should do I mean there, there's a lot of suffering in the world you know and I don't know how much an individual uh, yeah. can have an impact. Uh, so, so how how do you how do you even start mm-hmm. answering that question? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think this is also a major point of discussion within the community. So, actually, very roughly said, you have I would say two camps. One camp that's more the traditional Peter Singer camp. I would say. He's uh, also one of the founding fathers of the effective altruism movement. He wrote a lot about animal welfare in the 80s and effective altruism. I think he first coined the term effective altruism as well. Um, Peter Peter Finger actually writes in one of his books, like, okay, when you buy a cappuccino on the street and you pay like $4, is that the best investment? Is there a moral obligation to spend it on effective charities? Because, I mean, uh, when you do it every day, you pick up a cappuccino for that same amount of euros, you could have added a few life years on someone. So if you don't do that, actually, do you really think that the cappuccinos were more important? Your cappuccinos were more important than the lives of someone else? Uh, that's, eh, that's, that's an argument you can make or... Uh, talking about the kidney example, I don't know if you know that one. So uh, the, you, you have two kidneys. Uh, you probably know that. And you can live with one kidney. You can have a healthy life um, yeah, living with one kidney. And when you give a kidney away, you can definitely save someone's life because uh, there's a big like the, uh, deficiency. We don't have enough kidneys. 
Um, so yeah, do you have a moral obligation then to give it away? Since I mean, for you, there's yeah, I think there's a one in four thousand chance that you will experience negative consequences because you give one of your kidneys away. One in four thousand. So actually, when you're not doing it, you can say that you value your life four thousand times more than the life of someone else. This is a very extreme example, eh? Uh, then this is one camp that says, okay, yeah, you have more or less a moral obligation. I think the other camp, and that's where I'm sitting, um, is a bit softer and it just says, okay, you have multiple buckets in your life. So you have a bucket that's about you, your person, you like to drink a cappuccino. <laughs> you can do that. That's, that's all good. You have a second bucket that's that you need to care for your parents, your grandparents and everyone around you, your friends. Um, and then you have a third bucket, and that's maybe your like altruism bucket, effective altruism bucket, that you should care about people outside of your direct circle. Um, and that's a bit softer. Uh, but I, I like that more. It's more like a positive mes message. Everyone can stay in the role. Instead of playing it on, on, on guilt, you should do it. I think that doesn't work also when you... I talk about communication uh, and marketing. Uh, who wants to join a movement like that? Maybe some people, uh, but I think way less than when you tell the second story that's more positive. And yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but something that I really like of the first camp, in a way, is that it does <laughs> it, it does it does get you thinking. Like uh, you know, it, it really. I mean, I, I I got the opportunity to read the the book for, uh, from Peter Singer, the mm -hmm. life you can save, mm -hmm. and it really does. Like his arguments do. I mean, whether you're going to apply it to your life or not, that's another reason and another another thing. But like the whether the arguments are sound or not, it does really get you thinking. Uh, for mm -hmm. example, that that uh, very famous that you've probably heard a million times, the the analogy of the pond of the drowning mm -hmm. kid. Mm -hmm. I'll actually say it just uh, to to illustrate. Uh, so, and if I say it wrong, please do correct me because it's been a long time uh, since I heard it last. Mm -hmm. So, the imagine imagine this metaphor, listener. Uh, so, you're you're walking uh, one day uh, close to your neighborhood. Uh, you're just I don't know. Let's say you're going to work, and and so you're going to work. So you have your nice shoes on and and you know your your normal work outfit. And as you're walking you see uh, you're walking by a lake and inside the lake you hear a person that is struggling to swim and he or she is uh drowning or starting to drown and it's actually just to make the argument more appealing it's actually a little child <laughs> uh, that couldn't do anything on itself um, and you you notice that the pond you could perfectly go inside the pond and swim uh or, or even stand uh, as the kid can't reach the bottom, but you can. Uh, and, and of course, you're, you're amazed, you're surprised, you're, you ask yourself, what's happening? Why is this kid drowning? You look around and there's no mother, there's no one else that can help him or her. And so, yeah, you have the question, are you going to jump in? I mean, maybe you arrive late because of this to your work. Uh, I don't know, maybe your shoes get ruined. Uh, is that worth the life of this child that's going to die if you don't do anything about it? Uh, so, I mean, uh, a lot, most people agree that, yeah, you should uh, jump into the lake or into the pond. Uh, but, yeah, but then the what, what Peter Singer does in, the, in that book uh, is that he extends that argument and he says, yeah, you know, in the other side of the world, there's people drowning. And the other difference, be the, the only difference uh, between these two examples uh, is that you just don't see the other side of the world, and that's far away. Uh, yeah, but if, if you if you if you follow his arguments, it really I mean whether or not you really are gonna start sacrificing everything, like for example, stop buying all cappuccinos or just <laughs> drop drop all your shoes and walk barefoot, or I don't know to to what extent you're you're gonna go in in giving. Um, it's a it's a very personal question. It's something that yeah, I'm no one to judge, of course, but it really does get you thinking uh, when when you start to yeah, when you just bring this to mind uh, and you and you start to question how much do the things you spend your time on 
you spend your money on, uh, just your your resources on, uh, yeah, how much well-being does it actually bring to you and how well much well-being it could bring to others. So, I mean, I just, I really like uh, those thoughts. It, it, I, it gets me thinking at night. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. I mean, Peter Singer, uh, it's awesome to read his stuff. But then there's the question also, what sells best for the effective altruism movement? What I said is where I also am. In what way do you want to market? Do you want to market? Uh, maybe the, the, the kid and bond example is not so controversial, but for example, the kidney example I just gave is a bit more controversial. Maybe that you say, well, no, that's so egoistic. You just sell your life 4,000 times more. It's a very interesting discussion, of course, and it really gets you thinking. Uh, but I think when you want to convince people that they have to do good, and do good in an effective way is probably not the most effective way to to communicate yeah indeed indeed okay uh so we've spoken for around 40 minutes on the ideals and on the basics but i would love to now really jump into the practical stuff so how can we actually do good uh, like yeah what 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 can i do me as an individual to to start doing good work and even start uh please yeah. illustrate me I would say four or four things that you can do, basically. Uh, one, and that's for a lot of people the most effective, especially people a bit later in their lives who have an established career and that's donating to effective charities. So yeah, we were talking about uh, the cornerstones of effective altruism, but if you apply those, uh, you get certain cause areas that are important where we think, okay, there's a lot of suffering going on there. Um, and when you look within these cause areas, you can say, okay, some interventions are more effective than others. Uh, they, they, they pass RCT trials and they give the most, most bang for, for the buck. And within those interventions are probably a few organizations who are very well-run organizations and who should deserve your money. Uh, you can get the most bang for the buck there or save the most, uh, life years uh, for a year. In other words, um, and you could donate donate to those uh, to those charities. Uh, um, maybe you should just jump in in this one before I mention the others. I don't know. Or do you want to hear them all first? <laughs> uh, I maybe maybe you can mention them all and then yeah. we jump into them. Okay. Okay. Second one is career. So uh, hey, you have a, a, a lot of time uh, as a working person in your life. You work approximately like eighty thousand hours uh, in your life. Uh, that's a lot of time. So if you spend that on the right stuff, you can make other people's life better. And uh, that's a quick summary. Uh, the third one is a, a lifestyle. So there are certain lifestyle choices that you can make, uh, stop eating meat, stop flying, stuff like that for, uh, to prevent climate change. And uh, finally, uh, you can spread the message of doing good effectively. I mean, if you tell other people about this, maybe two or three other people, and they do the same, Within very short time, a lot of people know about this idea and do good in an effective way. That's what we call like a meta, uh, a meta cause area, uh, just helping the movement of effective altruism. Mm, okay, cool. Uh, and so we, before we, we go into each specific one, uh, you also mentioned that there's cost areas. Could you talk a bit more about uh, that? Yeah, yeah. So cost areas, when you apply the framework, we used earlier uh, or uh, ask a few additional questions maybe there are uh, a few topics or uh, yeah points of attention where, where we think that most suffering is happening or maybe most future suffering is happening uh, and we call them cause areas so for example uh, health and development there's still a lot of suffering going on in sub-saharan africa a lot of poor countries um, a lot of malaria which is preventable um, another not so nice stuff and yeah when you look at the numbers so you think about okay uh, yeah, the, the problem has skill that's what we all say so there's a lot of skill it's a very large problem the problem is solvable we know what to do or we have ideas uh, we're never sure like we talked about before but we probably have some of the ideas about what to do there um, and it's also uh, partially neglected maybe so if we would put additional resources in, uh, it would help. So when you apply this, this framework and you, you do that, you see, okay, there are a few areas that 
effective altruists should be interesting because you can really, really influence people's and, and animals' lives there. Uh, another one being uh, animal welfare, where you can really look to, to factory farming, for example. So ending factory farming or uh, uh, less factory farming is also one of the cause areas of effective altruism. Yeah, and there are a few, few others. You can find them all in 80,000 hours, which is a great resource. Uh, I think we can't talk about all <laughs> since there are yeah, many of them. But um, yeah, that, that's, that's what I mean uh, by talking about the cause areas. Yeah. There, I mean, I'm definitely going to put all the resources in the description, mm -hmm. like and any that we, that we mentioned and any also that uh, you or I think that might be useful. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, link to all the, li the list of all the cost areas. So, so if anyone is interested, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, into looking more into any of them mm -hmm. or just effective uh, links into effective altruism in general, I'll also link to those. Uh, but yeah, okay. So. I mean, there, there's all all these cost areas. There's there's a ton. Uh, I mean, I, I, even things that uh, when I started looking into it, I wouldn't expect. For example, the first time that I saw uh, artificial intelligence and that cost mm -hmm. area, I was like, mm -hmm. interesting. Why why would you, yeah, yeah, why would you think that's something like an existential threat or something like that? Uh, yeah. But yeah, but but it's very interesting to look to look into that and into, yeah, yeah I mean, all of them. Uh, very interesting stuff there, but. So we, we you started talking about uh, the four four methods, no, uh, mm -hmm. through of doing good through donations, mm -hmm. through career, through lifestyle, uh, and through uh, the the meta, the expanding the movement or or, or sharing mm -hmm. this idea of effective altruism. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So what what of these four do you do you think? we should focus on all of them at the same time? Do, do you see that one of them has more, more potential or, or yeah, it, what really, do you think? It, it depends on a lot. So when you talk um, about a certain individual, you have to look at uh, the situation. So is it still a student, for example? And when you talk to about students, they can still shift uh, where they want to work on. They can maybe pick a certain master. Uh, there's a lot of decisions they can make to work on certain very important stuff. Uh, so they can, uh, can have large influence through their career. Um, while on the other hand, when you talk to people who are 70 years old, are retired, uh, okay, they have some spare time probably, but they, most of them have a large amount of money. Right? They accumulated savings over the years. Yeah, talk about Western countries now. Um, and for them, probably they can have the largest impact through donations. I would say lifestyle compared to the other two is always a bit minor. Uh, because when you donate a certain amount of money, it's, it's most, uh, most often it's more and more effective. But like I mentioned before, it's also good to change your own behavior because uh, the opportunity or the, uh, the tendency to, to donate grows, uh, to, to have an effective career growth. Um, yeah, and the meta movement, I mean, that's still important, of course, to spread the word of effective altruism. But I think that's really a, a, a story of, yeah, you should do donating or career, but you should also expand the movement. That's something you can do simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah, one other thing I want to mention, so this is yeah, when you talk about individuals, but also when you look at cause areas, you can say that some cause areas have a, a, a talent shortage. Uh, so they really need specific talents. I think artificial intelligence is a, is a good example of that, where there's quite some money uh, going to uh, AI safety. So uh, it's the safety of artificial intelligence. Um, but they are really looking for specific talents that they can't always find. So when you want to make a difference in that cause area, and you are an individual that's 18, 19 years old, <laughs> I would say, uh, focus, uh, focus on uh, uh, getting the right skills. Ask organizations, uh, yeah, what should I learn? What's a good uh, education for me to, to get my career started in that uh, cross area while there are other cross areas, uh, for example, uh, animal welfare and uh, ending factory farming, where I think they really need funding and more funding, uh, or, or at least some of the organizations need more funding. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm super curious about all four of these. Um, 
But I personally, I've heard a lot more, I think, or it's more often heard the donation strategy. Uh, maybe it's because it's the clear one. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I would actually uh, love to hear a bit more about the career option. I mean, I think we've, bought, we, we've both listened to the 80,000 hours podcast, which is yeah. amazing. Uh, but yeah, could, could you tell me a bit more? I mean, I'm, I'm a student, right? Uh, and <laughs> a big, a big portion of the audience listening to this podcast are students. Uh, so I guess that's, that's a really something, uh, a very interesting topic now for us mm -hmm. that we're just starting to choose our career and, and, and yeah, choose what we're going to do, uh, for, for the rest of our lives. And, and so, so how, how can we, uh, start to do the most good through our career? How can we use this mm -hmm. opportunity? Yeah. Uh, that's a very good question. So, uh, 80,000 hours reading on that website, I think, is a very good starting point. But I can give a, a short summary. So, where I would start is to think about what are my values in life? What do I think is important? So, we had talked to before about, okay, do you think that we need to care about all nationalities or about the future or about animals or... And so you can first start with, okay, what do I think is really important? And you can map uh, that on the cause areas I just mentioned. So uh, the future or animal welfare or health and development. And that way you can say, okay, which area do you want to make a difference? Uh, because personal fit and that you like a certain topic is very important. Of course, you should also incorporate, uh, am I the right person uh, to, to work on that? I mean, when you do a study like history, probably you are not the person who should work in AI safety uh, because it's very technical. You need a very specific background for that. Or another example is if you are born in the Netherlands, probably you're not the one who should work on nuclear war safety or preventing a nuclear war since the Netherlands has no uh, stake there. Um, so I think those are two things that are really important to, to, to start with and thinking. So what do you think is important and can you play a role certain in, in that area? Um, and if the answer is yes, uh, you can think about, okay, so what are the specific roles uh, that I could take and are suited? What kind of organizations are there? Um, yeah, can I apply? What should I do in addition to my study or should I switch studies? Um, yeah, those are a few questions you can uh, and ask yourself and then uh, after that you probably have a few like opportunities or future opportunities and i mean i can talk way longer about this but so of course you also want to think about okay how do i want my career to look like in 20 or 30 years and is this the, a good option then uh, sometimes you can also decide okay i want to be in a certain area but first i want to build transferable career capital because i'm not completely sure that i like that area and i can do certain jobs, for example, strategy consulting, where you uh, acquire a very general set of skills that are useful for, for many opportunities. Um, I mean, these are some considerations, but um, yeah, let's jump a bit deeper. I wonder what you think about it and what you wanted to know. Yeah. No, I, I mean, personally, thinking about it, um, I mean, some, something that I thought early on when as soon as i started to be introduced into effective altruism i i started looking more into the uh, earn to give approach i think it's called mm -hmm. yeah uh, yeah i mean because it's, in a way it's one of the more straightforward and in a way of course it's appealing that you're gonna you yourself win a lot of money so that maybe then afterwards you can give uh, mm -hmm. yeah and and i think that's a that's an interesting approach uh, but but yeah i, I also really like the the, the point that you make of, yeah, in general, kind of a big, a big focus is, uh, the personal fit, uh, what, what each person, uh, yeah, could, could do the best instead of focusing that much of, I mean, of course, uh, focusing on what career paths can have a big impact is, is very important. But I think if you forget that, that, uh, factor of personal fit, uh, that, then you can get easily yeah. lost. Yeah, and I mean, earn to give, uh, you were talking about, of course, for some people, that is a good strategy. So if you have a profile that doesn't really fit the cost areas directly or working there directly, but you are a very talented uh, banker, for example, investment banker, 
uh, and you can make a career there. Um, it's you can do a lot of good. Uh, also because the uh, counterfactual uh, impact so is, is very large. So when you work in, in in finance and you are an effective altruist and you donate 20% of your yearly income, you can have a big influence. Uh, and when you think about it, when someone else would be in that job and that person is not an effective altruist, uh, he or she wouldn't donate the money. Just keep it for itself, just party, buy a boat, I don't know. Do something with it, but would uh, he or she wouldn't donate it to 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 an effective uh, uh, charity. Uh, so in that sense, earn to give has a very strong counterfactual impact. That's how we like to call it. Uh, while if you decided to work for a certain effective organization, uh, and we will talk about Cuba's organization maybe later, like Give Directly is a very effective charity providing cash transfers to people in developing countries. Uh, and they get a lot of applications. So if you decide uh, to work there, uh, there are many, many, many more people who want to. And if you got rejected, there's someone else uh, who probably will do the job just as good as you. Mm-hmm. So the counterfactual impact is not large. You are replaceable there. While when you look from an effective altruist perspective, you're not replaceable in the banker's job because it will be taken by someone who just throws the money away on booze or both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Does that make sense? A bit yeah, yeah, no, or... it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and it also, yeah, it, it makes me want to know more also about the just donation approach and, and how, yeah, how, how can we go uh, through, uh, like go beyond the the... Oft, the the challenges that we often face uh because i mean there, there's a lot of arguments that i've heard for example from my personal family uh, of why not donating distrust and or mm-hmm. believe that they there won't be a real effect that the money will be used for other uh factors could, could you talk a bit about yeah how can we actually do good through, mm-hmm. through donating yeah so i think it all starts again with the calls area so um i mean there are many ngos nonprofits. Uh, focusing on stuff that's outside of the cause area. So they focus on a problem that doesn't have a lot of skill or is not solvable at all, or maybe it's not neglected. Maybe it gets a lot of attention, but when you look to the numbers, it's not a lot of people suffering. Um, so that's always the place to start. So the cause area, where do you want to donate to? What kind of charities do you, do you uh, uh, like? What kind of cause area? And after the cause area, I think you can say, okay, within the cause area of health and development, people suffering in a third world, what are the most uh, effective charities? And that's something we calculate, or we, I must say, GiveWell. Uh, GiveWell is a charity, uh, recommends certain charities because they're very effective. And what they do every year, they go through a large list of charities within uh, the cause area of health and development, and they rank them. So they make calculations to see, okay, how many quality adjusted life years. So how many years in a a healthy life, with a healthy life, can we save through donating a certain amount of of, of euros or dollars? So um, when you look at certain charities, for example, against Malaria Foundation, they have a very uh, effective intervention where they provide bed nets to uh, people in developing countries. And they calculated that that intervention probably uh, is the most bang for your buck when you want to save lives, when you want to save life years uh, or quality adjusted life years. And not, not all, all life years are equal. I mean, if you are in very bad health, um, you can say that it's probably uh, your life has, has less worth for you at that moment. So you should uh, make the calculation sound and they, they, they use this concept of quality adjusted life years to calculate what the most effective charities are. Yeah. Cool. Interesting stuff. Um, and so, so the, the next cost area that I'm also thinking a lot about, um, is the building the community, the effective altruism community. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I think a lot about it is, I mean, independently of all the ways, uh, that you can do good and all, all the, yeah, discussions that you can have about how to do the most good, et cetera. 
uh, I mean, I think kind of the how, how you really need to start uh, and in a way the most important step is to really start caring about this, you know, to, to really start asking yourself the question of how can I do the most good? And that, that's why I think also the building the community, the effective altruism community, sharing these ideas is super important. Uh, but could you share uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, my job as part-time managing director of effective altruism Netherlands is to build this community. Uh, together with Marike de, de Visser, uh, who's also at the management team and many others. Like we have a very large core team of uh, volunteers and maybe we can add an extra person to the management team later on as well. Um, but um, so yeah, it's my job, of course, to, to, to build the community. So it would be stupid if I would say it's, it's not as important, but it is. I mean, when you look from a perspective of uh, getting extra people in, I mean, you can change your behavior or you can start donating or you can change your career. But if you convince 10 people to do that, uh, you, you're probably even more effective than if you would only change your own career. Um, so it is very important to convince other people of this idea. I think the idea is relatively new as well. So um, I think the effective altruism community is growing pretty fast, but it's still, especially in the Netherlands, uh, quite small. Well, you can see at other places, like Oxford is a very good example. The University of Oxford has a very large and influential group. Um, a lot of what they say is, is, is added to courses even of the university. So people really got teached ineffective altruism at their university. Uh, it's, a, it's a main philosophy uh, that's being teached. Um, there are many groups outside of the university. And what you see there when you get enough people in is that really, really like strong cases come out of people who are very influential uh, in society, either through research or I don't know what. Um, and that's because you have a certain amount, a certain mass uh, of people working towards the same same goal. And yeah, my goal is in the, uh, to create the same within the Netherlands and especially in student societies, since uh, we were talking about they're, they're still very flexible, changing their careers and stuff. So the added value of an extra student is very large uh, for the community. And yeah, I would love to spread it uh, around all your major universities in the Netherlands. Yeah, that sounds like a great pursuit to have. <laughs> and I mean, I, I'm, I'm very happy to, to have this opportunity to talk to you and to know that you exist in general, because I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having more people, <laughs> having more people uh, work on this and and just it, it's very encouraging just to to see people working on this and 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 to get to talk to you and meet you and and see what you think thanks um, a lot likewise yeah and so i i i want to ask uh, and, and i i think it might be good if we keep the episode short relatively short so that it stays as an introduction to effective altruism mm -hmm. uh, generally. And then if, if people are interested in looking more into it, they can go into all the links that we'll leave in the description. Yeah. Uh, but I but I wanted to ask you before that, if, if there's something else that you want to go into that, that you're really inter interested in or also some, some personal note that you would like to give maybe. Yeah, I think from a personal note, so this whole concept of effective altruism is a very good framework about uh, where to put your attention doing good. And on the other hand, if I look to my own life, and that's a very personal note, um, I also run an initiative here in the city of Rotterdam, uh, where you have uh, yeah, quite poor neighborhoods in the West, uh, Delfthaven, for example. And a lot of kids there, they don't get equal opportunities. And I mean, helping kids in the Netherlands is not the major cause area within effective altruism since I mean, they're still quite well off compared to a lot of people in Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, and I'm still working on that because I just love my own community. I love my city. Um, I love this initiative. I love kids there. I can identify with them. So, I mean, of course, it is good to figure out how you can do the most good. Um, but it's also eh, cool to be part of a community, to feel at home in the city. Uh, where you live and connected to people around you. Um, so that's something I think some effective altruists forget <laughs> because they really want to optimize, optimize, optimize. Uh, but there is a bit more than that. Um, that's, that's what I would say, at least in my own life. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, I really, I really like that. Uh, finishing with that personal note. Um, <laughs> any anything else that you would like to to say? No, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, I'll to speak in the future. I mean, uh, you can invite me again if people really like it, want to know more about a certain topic. I think people can also ask me questions. I'm always open to that. If you can share my my details, just questions on effective altruism in general, or Maybe they want to join the, the effective altruism community within the Netherlands. I think most listeners are are Dutch. Or not. Yeah, are probably. Oh, or yeah. or internationals living in the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah, but that's cool. I mean, we are English English speaking community. All activities are in English. Um, we have some nice events coming up, the tenth of December, one about long termism, and there's a, a series of, of workshops about uh, introduction workshop actually. So how you can do the most good. Uh, and that's also in December. So if uh, yeah, if you can post the links, I think it will be good. We still have a few spots left, not a lot to be honest, but um, I'm happy to give them to uh, to your listeners. Cool. Uh, yeah, definitely, we'll put all all the links there. And yeah, I mean, thank you, thank you so much uh, for for those conversations. Uh, it, it's, it's as I said, I'm I'm very happy that this is possible and. Um, I, I will say that if uh, anyone is interested also uh, in, in if, if you're not willing uh, to, to send a message to Jan William directly and you would like to send it through the podcast, uh, you can do that in the in the forum. I'll also link uh, it in the description in, in our website we have a forum and you can also just uh, yeah ask any type of questions uh, or, or keep the discussion add your thoughts uh, that that's always nice. Uh, and yeah, as I said, all the links will be in the description if you're interested. And uh, yeah, I, I I would actually love to to have you again at some point in in the podcast. Maybe we focus in in one specific. I mean, because all the all these things that we spoke about, we could talk for for hours. Uh, so yeah, that's true. Yeah, so true. so I would love to to have you again uh, back here. But in in the meantime, uh, to to everyone, I think there there's enough to do. <laughs> there's a lot of pressing issues that we can focus on. But some of which we mentioned. Uh, so yeah, maybe may we do all we can, uh, whatever form that takes. Yes, thanks a lot. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, then don't forget to follow us on our Instagram page. Also, if you have thoughts on the discussion held on this episode, whether it's an idea you'd like to share, something you appreciated, or a suggestion that you have, then please leave a comment on the forum section of our website, which you can find at madpod.org. We'd love to hear what you have to say about this episode and keep the discussion going. Thanks for listening, and see you soon for the next episode.